God and believe God to help us tonight. And so we know that this week is spring break and many are out of school. Thousands of thousands of people, they've, you know, young adults, they flock to beaches and rivers and lakes throughout America and all to have a good time. And we hear stories after stories about how during the spring break, um, people find themselves doing things that would get them to a lot of trouble, but ultimately things that they would regret. I'm not sure if you caught the article last week. We know Florida already had their spring break. That seven uh, uh, spring breakers had uh, overdosed on fentanyl. And what happened was they were invited to this party and it happened to be four of those uh, teenagers were uh, four cadets from a military academy. They were invited to this party. We're going to have a good time. And they pulled out cocaine. And right when they uh, took the cocaine, they immediately dropped to the floor. The person who was next to them reached down and noticed they weren't breathing, tried to give them CPR. And that person ended up dropping. And they realized that the cocaine was laced with fentanyl. I read another article about a university, uh, Arizona State of University freshman. He went to uh, Mexico, to Cabo San Lucas. He, he was there, and, and I don't, they don't know if he was drunk or what, but he crawled across a wall, didn't realize that, it was, that the, on the other side was 20 feet, and he fell to his death. And, you know, just looking at this young man and the parents, said, man, I told him not to go. I knew it was a bad idea not to go to Mexico. Don't do this. You know, they say the state of the Texas Department of Public Safety, they said they reported last spring break. Um, they said that they saw 872 DUI alcohol related traffic crashes. They say 30 of them were fatal. Over 107 were serious inju- injuries um, that people are still trying to recover today. You know, you read stories like this over and over again. We hear about this. It it never fails. Every spring break, um, we hear about just people doing things um, that, you know, they wouldn't normally do. And they're going to have to live with the consequences for the rest of their life, you know. But I came across this one article. It said Confessions of a Spring Breaker. And in this article, it talks about it was based off a study that uh, that they surveyed 889 high school uh, college students that right after spring break that they did a study and they asked them um, about their experiences in spring break and what do they regret the most about it. They said half of them, they said they wished they would have never been went to spring break um, as they are still uh, battling next today. To their surprise, they, in the survey, they said half of them said that they wish they had not involved, they indulged in sexual intimacy with someone they didn't know and drank alcohol. Because they said it was when they drank alcohol, they did things they normally wouldn't do. And so I was thinking about this, how the confessions of a spring breaker, how many know that we... We look at this, but, you know, it's possible that one week can change your life. One vacation can change your life. One day, 
off can change your life and it can bring actually more problems and baggage and shame, regret and, and, and guilt more than what you think. I just need a spring break. I just need some time off. But you know what also a vacation does? You know what also what spring break does? It's a revealer. It reveals of what's actually going on inside the heart, and, and it's an opportunity. So I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Confessions of a Spring Breaker. And look at 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read starting with verse 1. The Bible says it happened in the spring of the year at the time kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab his servants with him in all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and he came to him and lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Verse 5, and the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with a child. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. God, expose them. I pray the things that are in our hearts, Lord God, the secret things that will be revealed, God, and dealt with tonight, God. And Lord, that we would be delivered, God, and that you would help us and keep us, Lord God. And Lord, from decisions, I pray, God, that we would live and be fruitful as you have called us, God, that we would escape the snare of the enemy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people would say, Amen. Amen. I want to look, first of all, with you tonight, and I want to talk about when spring break is over. Because here we have in our text, many are well too familiar with this passage of scripture. It is the story of David and Bathsheba, which we know it is known as David's great sin. It is a day where David had crossed the line. It was a day that changed the course of his life, not only his life, but his family. It changed the course of an entire kingdom. It brought division and it impacted many people and it brought a lot of judgment and destruction to their lives. Now, we know David was not a perfect man. We understand that. And we know that the Bible says that he didn't do everything right. But we know that this, what he did, um, he crossed the line. How many know that there are um, certain sins that we commit um, where we cross the line? There are certain things that we do and you can read throughout the Bible where God says, look, um, I've had grace on you. I've had patience and I've been tolerant with you um, and I bared with you and I wrestled with you um, and, and I've tolerated your disobedience. But this is enough. You've gone too far. You know the sin that David committed by taking another man's wife um, and uh, sleeping with her like any sin we tried to commit. We try to cover it up, um, hoping nobody finds out, hoping it never gets revealed. Um, and in the process, we make things worse. 
The Bible says he goes and has a, a, a Bathsheba's husband killed. He conspires in battle and, and has him killed. Him. And, uh, and once he does that, he thinks he covered it up and he got away with it. Uh, but we know the Bible tells us that Nathan the prophet comes before David uh, and confronts David. Um, as we understand, David's been battling with it almost a year. He is hoping that nobody would ever find out. I got rid of the husband. Everything's fine. Everything's in place until Nathan the prophet comes and he is reminded. And it's interesting. The Bible tells Nathan begins to tell David a story. David said there was a man, uh, Nathan said there was a man in, you know, who was rich, who had many flock, many goats. Um, and this rich man had so much wealth, but he went down um, to a man who was poor, who had only one lamb. Uh, this lamb that he loved so much that he counted it as his own. He took it in his home uh, as his own. It became um, a family member. Um, and this rich man comes down, takes this lamb and kills it. The Bible says it is right there that David is enraged and, and he begins to bring judgment quickly. He didn't even ask who this man is. He just says that man deserves to die. And it's interesting that, Dave, that Nathan, the prophet, tells David, he says, listen, you're the man. You are the man who committed this sin. And, and the Bible tells us that David, he repents him he gets his heart right and uh, he finally realizes what he did he sinned and God forgives David but what's interesting is that when God forgave him that God tells him now David you're going to have to suffer the consequences because of what you did because of your sin he says listen the sword is never going to leave your house that for the rest of your life, um, you're going you're gonna to suffer the consequences. Um, also, he says that, you know, your neighbor is going to take your wife um, for what you did in secret. Um, it's going to be out in the open, he says, and, and your neighbor is going to sleep with your wife um, under the sun. Everybody's going to see this. He also says that because of that, the child that, who is to be born is going to die. And sure enough, just as God said, all of this began to play out throughout David's life. We know that there was division amongst his, him and his sons. There was rape. There was murder. There was violence. There was separation. There was all of these things that were happening um, all because of David's sin to where the Bible says uh, that David had to deal with this for the rest of his life. Um, but I want you to think about this for a moment, that all of this happened and it goes all the way back to one night on a spring, one spring night. It goes all the way back to one spring break. That we understand that in this story, all of the, the, the chaos that's happening came out of this. It came out of one vacation. See, that's not only true with David, it's true with many. One week of vacation, one spring break has changed and destroyed many people's lives. A time where it was supposed to be a time of refreshing, a, a time to, you know, to relax and, you know, and just finally, you know, just let yourself go and have fun turns out to be a nightmare. 
Think with me here about the confessions of a spring breaker today. That we understand that we hear story after story of people that they, they go out thinking, you know what, I'm going to have a good time. And they come back a totally different person. They come back and their life is never the same. They've got involved in either some type of drug or, or been sexually abused and assaulted and young women who've been raped and, and, and men who had committed crimes because they were under the influence for the rest of their life. They'll never be the same. How many know this happens also in the church? That many teenagers, they cannot wait for the week of spring break. They cannot wait to just let themselves go to finally have fun. Um, you know, the Bible tells us that Jacob's only daughter, Dinah, that she looks at the women of the world and she sees how they're dressed um, and she's impressed by them. She's in her father's house, Jacob, and she feels restraint. And in the moment that she's able to go and have fun um, and, and spend time with her friends, uh, the Bible tells us the first time she what she thinks uh, is going to be a, a, a fun spring break, um, a vacation turns out to be a nightmare for her. The Bible says there was a older man that was there named Shechem. He sees her. He takes her. He rapes her. And for the rest of her life, she's never the same. That here she is, the daughter of Jacob. We know Jacob, the 12 um, patriarchs of, of Israel, the 12 tribes um, that just you can only imagine what God had for Dinah, what God was going to use in this young teen, teenager's life. Uh, but once this happened, you never hear of her again. See, that's the story of many girls today. You know, police, they say they report that sexual assault cases, they rise during spring break time. That they are flooded with phone calls of girls crying in fear for their life. They have to hire more investigators, police, uh, to be ready to, to be able to take all of these calls and reports that come in. They say a lot of women call just to report but will not give their name. Because they don't want their parents to know. They don't want them to know that what happened. And see, the story of many, when spring break is over, they realize this, this vacation was not all that I really needed and I thought I needed. Because listen, that, that's the lie that I just need a vacation. I just need some time to get away. How many have said that before and you realize that's, that's not what you needed? Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a vacation. There's nothing wrong with resting. We need that. That's very important. But the question is, why do you want to take a vacation? Why are you itching and ready to just, you know what, just to go? Are you running? Are you just waiting for that opportunity to let your flesh uh, and that no one can judge you? That's why people go to Las Vegas or Louisiana to Mardi Gras. Because nobody's going to judge you. They're, you're doing the same thing they're doing. And so the question is, why do you want to stay home? And here's David. The first time we read in the Bible, he stays home. His whole life changed. 
So let's look secondly at the days leading up to spring break. See, because we know in life, nobody ends up where they're at from one day to the next. We know that what happens in spring break, it doesn't start on the week of spring break or on the beach. It just doesn't happen. But why is it so easily for people to fall? Why is it that the moment they get a chance to be alone where there's nobody there, they indulge in their sin? We know that people can fall quickly. We all fall. We all fall short of the glory of God. That we all sin. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about intentional sinning. Things that you've just been waiting for. Think about David. We know this doesn't fit his character. The question is, was this the first time that David was actually tempted? Remember, he is a king. Remember, the, his house is above every other house in Jerusalem. Where does a young woman find privacy? Of course, it's up on the roof that no one can see. The question is, was this the first this was this the first time that David saw a naked woman bathing? Or did David know that there were women bathing on the roof? Think about this. He gets up in the evening and he goes to look out. And he says, go call her. That doesn't fit the character of David. If you read the life of David, you understand that. People don't backslide from one day to the next. They don't indulge in their sin from one day to the next. If you look at the character of David, the Bible tells us David at a point, if you read the beginning of the Psalms, that he hated those who were wicked. He didn't dwell. He even says, I hate those who dwell in the presence of the wicked. Read these Psalms in the beginning. That David, he separated himself from sin. He turned away from sin. What does he say? God, try me. See if there's anything that any unclean thing in me. I bet you if you look, you're not going to find anything. He was so confident. Because his mind and his heart was set upon God where he says, God, you search me. You're not going to find anything. Joseph. Bible says daily. Potiphar's wife came to him. And what did he do? He turned away immediately. He is a young man who has the same plumbing that we have and the desire to be with someone, especially at that age. And it shows us that, you know what, you don't have to fall into sin immediately the first time you, there's an opportunity. It tells you and I that, that what God said, that, that when we're tempted, he will provide a way of escape. That we can take that escape. But the problem is that people are not, you know, God is providing a way of escape and you keep ignoring. There's exit signs all over the place. Big signs lit up. <laughs> See, you know, we can expect what happened in this story out of other people in the Bible. We can expect that out of Samson. We know Samson was a carnal man. He loved the ladies. It wouldn't have been used to us. We would have said, ah, yeah, of course. That's Samson. That's who he is. We can accept that out of Esau. Bible tells us he was an immoral man. He could care less about the blessing and the calling that God had for him. 
We can talk about the priests, Eli, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. We can talk about these men and, and uh, you know, because we understand these were men who disregards God's law. And we expect that those who live a compromised life. Yeah, of course, you're going to fall into sin. But what about those who are living righteous and doing everything? How is it that they fall so immediately? And not only they fall, but the, the, the way he fell, he committed murder. He committed adultery. See, you read chapter 10, it's nothing but victory. Bible says God was giving David victory over victory over victory. There was just accomplishments. And then from one chapter to the next, he commits this sin. See, I believe it happened from one day to the next. Looking at David's character and who he is, I believe there's more to the story. What other compromises did David make to where the opportunity finally arose? His mind was made up. The next time I see a woman, I'm finally going to do it. See, let's look at three possibilities real quick that what may have led to his fall. One week of vacation, one spring break destroyed his life because the truth is a man or a woman could be one vacation or one day of rest away from failure. Think about this. And the first possibility that we can look here in our text is that David dropped his guard. The Bible says that when kings go out to war in verse one of our text that Joab and his men went and they were having victory. But it says, but David stayed home. He stayed in Jerusalem when kings go out to war. While David's men were fighting, David forgot the fact that he's still in a spiritual warfare. Just because he's not on the battlefield doesn't mean there's not a war. Doesn't mean that he is not fighting an enemy that we can see. Listen, the enemy is always there. He is always working behind the scenes. Listen, David dropped his guard. You know what? I'm not going to read my Bible today. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to get up on time. You know, and we hear, we see David. He's worried about other things. How many people are so worried about the war in Russia and Ukraine and they forget that there is a war for your soul right now? See, the devil never takes a vacation. He's busy during spring break. He's like, he has to hire extra demons. I don't know what he does. But he understands, hey, this is my time. How many fatalities and deaths there are, you know, boating accidents. It's crazy to think how many people die in boating and jet ski accidents a year here in America because they get all drunk and they end up flying off the jet ski or boat runs them over. You know, Peter tells us, he says, be sober, be vigilant, be on the lookout or watchful for your adversary. The devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, when you drop your guard, you begin to compromise. Think about the servant Uriah, the man that David had murdered, the man that that he took his wife, that here is Uriah, the his soldier understood we're at war. 
And David tells him, go. And he's trying to cover up his sin and said, you know, gave him some alcohol and tells him, look, you know what, get drunk. And hoping that, you know what, he's going to go home and sleep with his wife. And, you know, and right there, there there's his there's his escape plan. And, you know, what does the Bible say that they find you right out in the courts with the soldiers sleeping outside? And he's like, what is this? Why are you doing this? Uriah says, how, how am I going to go home and lay nicely in my bed while my men are out there fighting in the war? Think about this. That even Uriah had an understanding that, you know what, I, it's not time for a vacation. It's not time to be at home and, you know, there is a war that's taking place. Secondly, is we lose conviction. At one time, what used to convict us no longer convicts us. Think about sin. Think about things that you were convicted about when you were a new convert. Things that, you would, that, that would convict you to the heart where you said no more of this. Things that you watched. Social media. Things that you want nothing to do with because it's just distracting me it's a, the world is luring me and pulling me away and you had these convictions and all of a sudden now that you've been saved longer and you figured the devil out that you know what I can bring these things back into my life why because I'm stronger that somehow David thought you know what as long as I don't touch I could just look that hey the commandment says do not commit adultery And when we lose convictions, we no longer can hear the voice of God. Think about the servant when David saw this woman. He says, look, that's Uriah. Uriah's wife right there, man. She's married. David doesn't care. He's full of passion right now. His mind is finally made up. That is why people can sit under a service like this and, and their mind is made up. That you know what? I'm going to do what I've already set my mind on because of a constant. You're, you've lost a conviction. At one time, the Holy Spirit was convicting you. Then there's the immune factor that's at work. And what that is, is it won't happen to me. I can get away with this. It's not as bad. You know, there, there are people, listen, that like to contemplate, enter, entertain sin, and eventually uh, what happens is they indulge in it. It's called the gradual effect. Uh, you know, you've, I don't know if you've heard that song. It's a Christian song. It's called, it's a slow fade. And what that song is about, it's about a husband who commits adultery on his wife and how he leaves his family and just talking about the children and the, the destruction that it caused and said how it doesn't happen from one day to the next. It's, it's a slow fade as you give yourself away. That little by little you're giving yourself away to these compromises, to these sins that you no longer have the conviction anymore and it's a slow fade that eventually that you realize you're no longer married and you're, you're, not, you're not with your kids anymore and, and this song is just a reminder that you can be immune and, and get to a place where that when you finally give in to the sin, you don't see it as bad as it, as it once was. That's why David was able to sin. 
That's why David was able to do what he did. It wasn't as bad as he thought it was. Do you know they say pornographers? They admit in one study that they've done in searches on the Internet. They say people don't normally just type in porn on the computer. That what they do is it's called a, a gradual gratification. In other words, what they, they say is that people, they, they would see something and, and it would catch their eye. It could be a news article and, you know, and they would click on that and eventually they would, it, it, they call it soft, eventually porn. And then eventually uh, they'll find themselves is what one um, pornographer said. They will slowly find themselves um, eventually home. Or to the place at which they originally wanted to go. That they knew ultimately where they wanted to go. And that's why they would click on these images. Because they said in people's mind, they said that they, they feel guilty and feel bad for typing in porn. Rather than gradually finding a website. And they said they will do this. And they did this study on children and as young as 8, 9, 10 year olds. And they said that so people, what happens is it's a, a, one researcher said when it comes to that, they don't surprisingly stumble on websites. They finally arrive and get to where they intended to go in the first place. In other words, that, you know what, I don't feel it's bad now because I stumbled upon this rather than I indulged in this. And it's called gradual gratification. I'm immune. Little by little, you're immune to it. And then you find yourself in this place. And here's David. He found himself committing a sin. Listen to one spring breaker's confession in the Bible. How many know this is, this is, a, this is old news? Remember Solomon, the Bible says, he seeking wisdom, seeking to have fun. And listen to what he says at the end of his life. Proverbs 6, 25, he says, do not lust in your heart after her beauty. Let her captivate her, captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. And the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? That here is Solomon at the end of his life. He says, listen, you're going to get burned. I was there at that time. This is a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Got himself into a lot of trouble. And now he's giving wisdom to, you know, where he says, listen, um, you know, it's, it's not a matter of if or what you're going to get burned. It's going to burn you. You cannot put fire on your lap and play with it and not burn you. Do you know that lawyers love the spring break? Because they know that this is where they're, they're making money. There are actual lawyers that, that you can look up that are, that are specifically that they make all their money during this time. Because they know there's going to be people who have no intention to get in trouble, get in trouble. Find themselves doing things they shouldn't be doing. So I want to close and I want to look at no regrets. I know there's a, a someone was telling me a, uh, there was a picture of a tattoo. I think it was, Najee was telling me, it says, no regrets. Someone got a tattoo on. You know, they regret, they spelt it wrong. 
you know, that, that someone did on spring break. But you know that they say that the Texas Department of Public Safety, they have a campaign they do every year for spring break. They'll set up in high schools and colleges and they would go to places, especially in, in Florida and, and uh, Texas beaches and, uh, and, and along the beaches. They will set up campaigns and it's called um, uh, Drive Sober, No Regrets. And what they will do is they would have um, uh, real testimonies. They'll have people there. Some people, if you, you can look it up, the testimonies uh, and see the people talking. But some would literally be burnt from the head to the toe. They have to wear gloves because some are missing their fingers and, and they're there talking. They're young. They, I mean, they, they're literally, their skin is so burnt. Uh, and you would think they're probably 70, 80 years old, but it's just a 21-year-old. And they're sharing their testimony to these uh, beachgoers that, listen, don't drink and drive. Listen, there was another man who was in a wheelchair. Uh, he was in a brawl and, you know, got drunk at a bar on South Padre Island. And there he goes and fighting and, and he slips and breaks his neck. And now he's confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And you would see all these testimonies of people saying, listen, you don't, li you don't have to live with regrets. That every, there, there's even people that's been in prison, you know, that, that were there, they're ex-convicts and, you know, they're uh, because of the drinking and driving and they're there sharing testimony, trying to help people and let them know the reality that, listen, um, that, you know what, the, this spring break, you know, it can, can change your life. But you don't have to live with regrets. And the, the, the thing is that the whole campaign is trying to prevent more deaths, more accidents, um, but as well as trying to prevent young beachgoers, young adults who think, you know what, I could do what I want. Uh, I mean, when you're young, you don't think about the consequences. When you're young, you just want to have a good time and you just want to, you know what, uh, it's all right, you know, because it won't happen to me. And they're trying to prevent these things um, uh, and, and people that they can have a guilt free uh, vacation where they don't have to feel bad about their vacation. They can actually have a good time. But the question is this tonight, amen, what, what do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you have blown it on and you had messed up and you are living with the consequences today? What do you do then? You're living with the regret tonight. You feel the regret, the shame, the guilt. And the truth is tonight, you can still live free of regret. You can live free from shame and guilt. See, David in our text, he messed up. That one spring night had changed the whole course of his life. But you know what? That doesn't define David. That didn't define who he was. That yes, people know what he did, but you know what? There was, if you read the story tonight, and this is really what, what I'm preaching on tonight. This is the real story. Is that God is a God of grace and mercy. That here is David, he messed up, and, but the Bible tells us at the end of his life um, that he was known as, that God said he was a man after my own heart. Now people can say a lot of encouraging things about us, you know, at our funeral, and many people, they just, you know, they're lying sometimes. You're like, man, that brother was bad. 
And oh, he was just a great person and just loved people. Died in a shootout, you know. And but here's God. He says, David was a man after my own heart. See, it doesn't matter how you start. What matters is how you finish. You don't have to be remembered by what you've done. But what you're doing now. David caught that revelation. One man said, though no one can go back and make a brand new start, anyone can start from now and make a brand new ending. See, there is hope for those who have blown it. There is hope for those who feel that, you know what, I've messed up, I've done wrong, and, and you know what, and my life's never going to be the same, I'm forever going to live with this shame. That's not the gospel tonight. I want to tell you that it is never God's will for a man to be destroyed for one event of his life. It is not the will of God for a man to be defined by one mistake that he's made in his life and that he'd be carried with that throughout. It's never the will of God. That is why the Bible says, and if you read and, and you know, you would read about the cities of refuge, a man who accidentally commits murder or accidentally hurts somebody. And he's able to go to these cities of refuge and that, you know, at times, you know, eventually time will come where he's able to go back home and be restored. But the question is tonight, it's not that will God forgive me? The question is, will you do what it takes to be restored? Because here is David in our text. He had a responsibility. There is a personal responsibility if you're going to live without the regrets and shame and guilt that God demands you and I, man, to do our part. God does his part. We do our part. David's response was key to being restored. One man in, in, in an article, he was talking about spring breakers. He says the week is a blur. Parting seems a fun time, but what happens on spring break never stays at spring break. What should have been the time of our lives become a week we don't remember and we can't live down. Decisions that seem harmless at the time haunt us as we see him or her around uh, campus talking about uh, young teens. He says this year is a time to break the cycle. That before spring break that they're, they're preaching this. Saying let's break the cycle that every vacation you have or day off or free time it's like you mess up. You indulge in your sin or your lust. So how do we break the cycle? Is number one is we need to confess. Did you know there's a website for those who feel the need to confess? This website, it's for spring breakers. It's called, it's been around for many years. And what it is, it's those who went on spring break and they did some things, some vile things or things that they feel guilty about. They need to get off their chest. They can go onto this website and they can, you know, there's a box and you can type in your confession and, and they'll take it and follow it away and just so that you can get it off your chest. That you can tell somebody. And it's anonymous. You don't have to put your name. It's just so that you could just confess and, and move on. I mean, no, we don't need to go to some random website tonight. We don't need to go to a priest and confess. We need to come to Jesus. David said, it is you I sinned against. 
I sinned against you, God. Before anyone sins and does wrong and, and don't take it personal, they sin against God. And when David confessed, I want to tell you, the Bible tells us that God, he forgave David. For The Bible tells us, Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. David found mercy in the eyes of God. What he did it required death. What he did, the punishment, what required him for him to be dead. But remember, he's king. There's nobody powerful than him. There's nobody who he's accountable to that's going to bring that judgment. He is the top dog. And, and listen, God says, and I know that, but listen, you're accountable to me. One man said people need to stand up for their wrongs as they stand up for their rights. Psalms 32, 5, finally, David says, I confessed all my sin to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Not only do we need to confess, but we need to repent. See, we can confess all day. I'm sorry I did wrong. But if we get up and do the same thing again, that's not confession. That's not repentance. That's not turn. Repentance is turning away. David never repeated this again. You don't find David going back to his rooftop looking again. Oh, I'm struggling, you know. No, you don't see him doing that anymore. David repented of that. He probably said no more walks in the evening. No more looking behind his balcony. I want you to think about this for a moment because the Bible says when David repented and confessed and repented that Nathan the prophet comes to him and told him and says, David, God took away your sin. Another translation says God put away your sin. And I want you to think about that. Why is that important? The reason that's important is because the truth is that David, after his sin, he still went through the fallout. We call it the fallout, the consequence, right? All think about it. In a, in a week later, the, the child was going to die. His son rose up against him, division in the kingdom. He's on the run for his life. And here, just all this adversity, all of these this problems that are coming. Uh, and David has to endure this. But look. This is why it's important we understand when Nathan the prophet says that God has put away your sin is that David, this wasn't a punishment from God. God wasn't punishing David and, and, and doing all of this drama that was happening where the sword never left his house and, and the, the division and rage and murder and all that. That wasn't God punishing him. And I want you to think about that for a moment because many people think, you know what, that, that the reason why this is happening in my life because God has punished me because of the sin I committed. The Bible says that God put away his sin. And it's important is that because as a Christian, when we confess our sins, God forgives us. What David was experiencing was the consequences of his sin. The Bible says God will not be mocked for what we what we sow is what we're going to reap. It was the consequences that God says, you do this. This is what's going to happen. 
That has nothing to do with him being forgiven or not. Because many Christians, what happens is that they would come, they would confess, they would repent of their sin. They go out. Now they're suffering the consequences. And somewhere in their mind, they feel that, you know what, God hasn't forgiven me. Because I'm still going through this. Because I still have these these problems, you know, you go and you sleep around and you, you catch AIDS or diseases or you go and you get in debt and, you know, and you spend all this money. You know, listen, you're still going to have to face the consequences. You destroy relationships, friendships. Uh, listen, just because God forgave you, they, they're not just going to trust you. It's not going to go away. But the only way that what, what God was telling David, listen. If you got what you deserved, and if this was punishment for your sin, you would have been dead. How do we know that? Because when David repented, what does God say? I'm going to let you live. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kill you anymore, David. That was the punishment for his sin if he didn't repent. But what David was going through was the consequence. And this is where people struggle. This is where they feel that, man, I'm not forgiven. But eventually, God restored David. That in the midst of the consequence, God was still blessing David. God was protecting David. God was still moving upon David's life and, and, and gave him a son, Solomon. That at the end of his life, that here is David, the blessing that was upon him. That's why the Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you read that, what Paul was saying is that God took our sin and take the punishment for our sin. You cannot bear the punishment for your sin. See, you walk around thinking I'm being punished. God is punishing me for my sin. Let me tell you, that's not what's happening. If you was to be punished by God, you will not be here right now. Our sin requires death. And Jesus Christ, when he died for our sins, he bore that punishment. He bore the punishment of all our sins. You cannot, you, you cannot withstand the punishment. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. What that tells us, if the blood of bulls and goats can forgive us of our sins, how much more can the blood cleanse our conscience clean? Think about that. If his blood is enough to forgive us and avert punishment, then we can live without regrets. We can live without guilt and shame. That what we did is in the past for anyone who is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. And what God was showing a picture to David that look, um, that years later, the prophecies that someone was going to die for that sin. Because he didn't just get away with it. That sin wasn't a freebie, you know. Jesus took the blunt of it. I close with this thought. There was a man who was cleaning his house and to discover in his closet rips back the carpet and find two little skeleton remains. 
he had purchased this house. He'd been living it over 10 years. And finally, you know what? I need to clean this house out. Two little skeletons. It was a, a mother had murdered her children that lived there. The whole time he was living there, he was so busy that, you know, and he said, man, no wonder why all these problems we had in this house. I would see things, hear noises, uh, you know, running up and down the stairs. And, you know, I didn't understand what it was. And now, uh, you know, the man's not saved. But now he, in his mind, he said, man, it was the little kids. There were two skeletons in his closet. You know, spring break is really a time what they call spring cleaning. It's really not a time to let yourself go and take a break. You know, spring break is really a time to go into your house and clean clutter and things that, that waste, stuff that you don't need to, to get rid of some things. It's really spring cleaning. But, you know, we just take in that and we, you know, this is, hey, this is a free time. But it's a time to get rid of some things. Clean house. And I think this is what David had to, you know, through this whole process, he realized, you know what, I had some skeletons in my closet. It revealed what was in my heart, my failure, what happened. And, and you know what, it revealed what was already inside of me. And guess what, it's inside of you. It's inside of all of us. And so I want to challenge you tonight, amen. That as God told David, I've put away your sin. He can do the same for you tonight. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And my challenge to you is taking God at his word. That's what David did. David said, I confess sins and he forgave me. He forgave me. 